1: Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka.
0: I'm Joelle
2: Steiniger.
1: And I'm Matt Goldman.
2: And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today we talked with Dan Norris, founder of Informly and WP Curve. He opened up with us about mistakes he's made along the way and his new processes for testing ideas quickly and moving at a super fast pace. You'll also learn how building an audience early on led to the success of some of his later ideas. Enjoy.
1: So hey, we're here with Dan Norris. Dan Norris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Uh, Dan Norris is the founder of W P. Curve, which provides unlimited WordPress support um, starting at sixty nine dollars a month. Um, Dan, tell us a little bit about how you got started with WP Curve
3: well i spent um, after I sold my last business i had I gave myself twelve months to start a, a new business, and I started working on an analytics product and after eleven months of doing that it became obvious that it wasn't going to work because I was losing a lot of money and I didn't have enough customers. Um, and so I had one last crack before I got a job or at least tried to get a job because I'm not sure if anyone would give me a job. Um, but um, it's NWP Curve was it. So we I, I kind of just came up with the idea on the weekend and just launched like a really crappy site and sent it out to my list and put it up in a couple of forums. And um, I mean, pretty much from that day we've grown consistently every month. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that was that, how, how it started was literally like a, a one hour spent on a website. And um, once people started signing up, I,
2: I kind of realized that it was going to be a real business.
3: So what that you, was seven months ago.
2: What does the service look like? Are you doing mostly just WordPress updates or are people asking you to make updates to the content on their sites? Uh, well, people ask
3: us for a lot of stuff, but we say no. To, to most of it, what we do, what we only do is small WordPress f- development fixes or, or development jobs, I should say, because they're not necessarily bug fixes. It could be a small job. Um, it could be something like, like we have a, an email sequence that we're working on where we send out one different website idea every single week for a whole year. And it's things like installing different plugins for social sharing or installing a plugin for a icon, stuff like that. Um, any any bugs that people find like things like they install a plugin and it clashes with another plugin or they have you know a mobile responsive theme but the pop up they use is is stopping people from looking at it on mobile or something it's it's just all of that kind of stuff that um like it's not stuff that a normal business owner can handle themselves but it's stuff that happens to your website all the time that you need to get a developer to fix
2: so you mentioned that um, you had this idea over the weekend and um launched it pretty quickly thereafter. Did you have an existing audience to start with, or were you really starting from scratch all over again um, after informally
3: well i no I pretty much started from scratch before informally when I sold my last company um I, I, when I sold the company, I sold the website, which was getting quite a lot of traffic. I sold all of my social profiles and forum profiles. So I started everything from scratch, except I still had a bit of an email list. Although I had to take all of my customers off that list um, as part of the transfer. So, but for the year before I started WP Curve, I went kind of crazy with content and created a whole lot of content and built a big list um, of about four or five thousand people. And that was, and I sent an email every week to that list, and that's the email. I, that's the list I emailed when I started WP Curve. Like most of our list has been built on giving things away, like especially plugins and even even things that don't exist. Like the most of the sign-ups for informally came from the landing, like the pre-launch landing page, and it converted much better than the actual live landing page did, which is something people don't consider. But if you actually get traffic before you launch, then there's a good chance you'll convert higher than you will after you launch because it's much it's much less of a commitment for someone to put their email address in. To be notified at some point in the future about something, than it is to actually create an account and start using something. So yeah, um, yeah, we, we yeah, saw the a, same a lot thing. of our traffic came from that, and giving away free plugins and free downloads and books and stuff.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. We've we've seen, I mean, both of our pre-launch pages were pretty vague, and I think there was value in that. It, it may be less lower qualified people getting on the list, but as we pivot around. Um, when we started, we didn't really know what either product would end up being. And both of them have ended up being dramatically different. So having a list of a varied audience has been nice because it lets us, we don't feel like we're going to change the idea and then miss out on the leads that we've built up. We have someone for everything.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone says to make sure your list is really targeted and all of that, but I mean, there's not really a big downside to having a big email list with lots of people on it. I mean, it just means that a lot more people will share your news and retweet your stuff. And mm-hmm, um, yeah. I just think it. I think it's good to build a general audience and you don't really know exactly where your product's going to end up. And like in my case, if I hadn't done that with Informally, then WP Curve probably wouldn't have turned into anything. Like that audience that I built for Informally ended up being the audience that kicked off the momentum for WP Curve. So um, I think it's a good idea to get emails even if they're not completely targeted.
2: Yeah, I think that uh... – that probably works out pretty well because any future products you work on are probably going to be in the same space as well tied to whatever you're writing.
3: Yeah. Well we, yeah, so we've got, um, informally, which is now just aimed at agencies and that's sort of the odd one out the, the other stuff, all the other stuff we're doing is pretty much aimed at like a startup founders and small business owners, or solo entrepreneurs. We've got a, a, um, paid community and we've got a WordPress conversions plugin and, um, WP curve and and we've got our startup chat site and podcast and we're writing a book for there. So all of that stuff is all kind of aimed at the same sort of people. Um, but informally is, is I guess
2: the odd one out now. And coming from informally, what do you feel like you did differently that was what set uh WP curve apart? Um, it it sounds like you got a really great start and it's more of a, a service than a product.
3: Yeah. So, um, the, I think the book, the book I put together, is going to sort of address a lot of the stuff I did differently with this one. Um, maybe even more so, what I did differently from my very first business, which I ran for seven years and then sold for not much, and never really made much money with, um, which was a much much bigger failure than um, you know trying something for ten months and then it not working out. So the the things I'll be talking about there are. Uh, I mean, the difference between informally and WP Curve, the main differences are that it's a service and not software, so you lose some benefit. I mean, software as a service is is better in terms of much better margins and um, it's a much nicer nicer business to have. But then service has a lot of benefits as well. I wrote a post on this recently. I can give you a link to it. Sure. Um, But, yeah, there's a lot of benefits with service. One is it's a lot easier to get people to sign up for. So we had... I mean, a lot of people have WordPress and a lot of people have those problems that we can fix. So we had 10 10 signups in the first week and I think something like 20 or 30 in the first month. And we've had 20 or 30 every month
2: since. And and we've now just passed 200 monthly customers um, in seven months. Do you find that the churn is pretty high? Do people get in, get their problems fixed and then turn it off? Or do people have a consistent stream of, of updates that they need?
3: Uh, there's a combination. There's the churn is definitely worse than it is with the software because the software kind of delivers value without you having to do anything. So the churn is something we need to manage by, like I mentioned, the retention sequence before, where we email people ideas for changes. But we're also conscious about who signs up to the service. So we've stayed away from people who we think who we think will churn, and we kind of look out for um, when it's when someone signs up and you can kind of tell that they're only interested in the cost and getting things done cheaply, I can sort of predict that they're going to churn so we, we don't sort of chase those customers.
1: So how are you managing the team uh, that's doing this work behind it? Um, pretty much the same way. I've always managed
3: my team. I, I think I had, w- with my first agency, I had one developer in the Philippines and I had one local developer. And when I sold that, I kept the developer in the Philippines because he was really good and I worked really well with him. We just chat over Skype. Um, and we've now got, I think, in, including me and Alex, we've got six people. So we've got four developers around the world and we, we just, we just manage them a comp- combination of Trello, which, which has all of our jobs in it and Skype or, or Google chat, which we use for, um, just talking about the work and, and the, I mean, that's pretty much all we do. We don't really use email. We don't really... We don't really use any kind of sophisticated support tools. We, we pretty much just have the jobs automatically go into Trello, and then we, the devs do them and, and draft the replies to the clients. We review the replies and then send them, and the developers write the notes. Like we have development notes for each client. The developers write those notes in the documents, and the clients have access to those so they can see every change that's happened. In
2: terms of um, promotion, you said that you're doing a lot of content to promote this stuff. I've noticed yep. that similar to buffer, you guys are pretty transparent. And I think I think you used to do this and then you stopped for a little bit and then started again in terms of uh putting your numbers out there. Is that yeah. What do you see a lot of benefit in doing that? And why did you stop and get started again?
3: Well, the only reason I stopped is because my co-founder joined me and he didn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um and so like in the early days. I was pretty flexible and like he, he just joined and we were sort of just going through that stage where you first get together where like you're kind of trying to be as nice as possible to the other person and now we just kind of swear at each other and abuse each other all day. But <laughs> when we when we first got together, I was like, yeah, fine, you can change the business name on day one, no worries. Um, yeah, we, we no longer have to write income reports, cool, whatever. Um, but we, we also, early on, we, we chatted to a bunch of influencers about the idea and got some advice and one of the things that Heaton Shaw said was if if we were looking to get partnerships with like bigger companies it might look bad if our numbers are pretty low um, but I just worked away at him over time at Alex that is and eventually he agreed <laughs> eventually he agreed that um, it's it's going to be in- it's interesting and useful content for people and if, if that's the only thing that we care about like creating interesting and useful content then why not, why not publish them?
1: What have you found has been the difference between posts, like the revenue posts, and regular content? Do you do you find one is more effective than the other?
3: Um, well, probably the most effective content we've got is is uh, things that are useful to people. So, like if I look at like the effectiveness of the content, like an income report is normally effective at generating comments, but it's not really effective at generating conversions or leads. Because it's kind of interesting and it's um, open to interpretation. So it tends to get people replying and commenting. But it's not very good for building our list. So we have different types of content that do different things. I think there's the useful content like the the post where we give away templates or plugins or something useful that people can use tend to do much better with conversions. Um, And then... Other longer, bigger content tends to do better in terms of page views. And the, the monthly reports, I think the monthly reports are good for trust building, which is sort of hard to measure, but I think we've got a lot of trust in it. Our audience has, has a lot of trust in us, and a lot of that is because of the transparency. Um, and it's shareable, and it's kind of interesting. In fact, Alex wouldn't have joined the business if it wasn't for a monthly report, because that's sort of what, what attracted him to my content in the first place. Interesting. So, so he found you? Yeah, he actually – you can actually see it in, in one of my posts. Um, I'll give you a link to it. It's – well, have just put in his startup validation bullshit into Google. Yeah, I remember that one. That's Yeah, that's the post. Um, and he actually replied to that post and started talking about, you know, have you considered finding a co-founder and all that. I just, just put the link in there. Um, and you can see me sort of chatting to him about my – you know, my thinking around that. And then, yeah, but within a couple of weeks, we'd kind of, he'd agreed to do some work for me for free. And then a couple of weeks later, we're like, actually, this is working really well. Let's just, let's just go for it.
2: That's great. At that time, did you already have the idea for WP Curve or was he helping you with Informally? Yeah, no, that, that was, so I wrote that post, I think a week after, because what happened
3: was it it took me 10 or 11 months with Informally. And I got to the end of that time and I had $476 in monthly recurring revenue and then I launched WP Curve and a week later I had $476 exactly with WP Curve as well how funny yeah so um so yeah d- d- it was called WP Live Ninja because that was the name I just thought up and created uh, but Alex changed that on day 1 but um <laughs> and yeah so 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 that that business was a couple of weeks old by the time he started working for me but by the time we we actually decided that we would go into partnership like we'd signed up 20 or 30 customers and it was already kind of profitable in that it was covering our development costs and um, it was pretty obvious that it was going to be a real business
2: yeah with informally you say it took 10 to 11 months at what point did you launch the product during that time period and actually start taking signups from the public sorry so can you say that one again at what point during the 10, 11 months on informally, did you start taking signups publicly? Was a lot of that time def time or was it open? Like, had you already built it?
3: Yeah, oh, man, I made so many mistakes on that product. I mean, one of them was, it took me, one of them was to do with the payment. Like, I, I started getting email opt-ins really early um, and I started getting free users pretty early. So, I think from day one, I was getting email opt-ins. From three months, I was getting free users but it took me about six months to actually work out the proper payment, a proper payment system. And I mean, I'm such an idiot. I should have just put up a PayPal button, but I was just intent on setting it all up properly. So it was all smooth and seamless and we didn't have Stripe in Australia. And I set up Braintree in the U S merchant account and it just took me forever. Um, And by the time I did that and hardly anyone signed up, it was, it was then that I just realized, Oh man, I've
2: really made a big mistake. Yeah. And did you, uh, did you make a big effort from there forward to market it or were you kind of looking for the next thing?
3: No, I I tried everything to market it. I mean, I try, I, I tested like 15 different paid channels. Um, I put content out on all of this as well. And this is ha- p- partly how I built my email list is been putting all this stuff out. But um, yeah, I tested about 15 different paid channels. I completely changed the product. I went from free to freemium. Sorry, I went from... Yeah, free to freemium, from freemium to paid only, from uh, paid only to agency only. Um, I, I launched a completely new product that was aimed at a totally different audience that I thought I'd validated and turned out that no one really wanted and I couldn't build quick enough to get customers for anyway. So I literally spent like five months trying to work out how to fix the problem and also trying to do a lot of content and market market the system. And then by the end, I just kind of figured that like agencies were paying for it, paying a reasonable amount of money. It wasn't growing very quickly, but it was still growing. And um, it was just obvious to me that it wasn't going to grow quickly enough for what I wanted. So I ditched all the other stuff I was doing and
2: just kept the agency version and then started working on a new idea. So at the end of the day, if you had to distill it down to one problem, what do you think? Is it a Fundamental flaw with the idea that people like the idea but aren't willing to pay for it. Uh, yeah, you feel like it was yeah. a product well, I, issue
3: I think there's, there's two things one is that I wasn't really solving a problem that people were trying to solve already so That's like a and, and I think part of that is like the scratch your own itch thing like which I've heard from a lot of people like it's a good thing to do but I'd, I'd argue with that because I think when you create something for yourself You're you're a very bad judge like everyone is you're a very bad judge of knowing what's valuable and like, if I was to honestly think about whether at that stage in my business, I would have signed up and paid for informally. I don't know if I can actually tell you whether I would have, i like, I felt like I was building the perfect tool for me, but how do I know if I actually would have paid for that product? Well, you would look at what I'd done previously and whether or not I was trying to solve that problem elsewhere. And I wasn't really, I hadn't paid for other dashboard type products. Um, so I think you tend to be a bad judge of like your own behavior and other people are as well. So I guess the the number one learning was just to ignore all of those metrics and just focus on getting people to pay you. And so anything we've done since then, we haven't taken any more than a week to develop and we've put it up and asked people to pay us before we, we made any assumptions about whether or not it was a good idea. So that's probably the main, there's about 10 things I've sort of, put together as learnings from that process, but that's probably the main one.
2: So if people aren't willing to pay right up front for, for the idea or the current implementation, then it's just not, you're going to move on to something that has better shot. Well, Yeah, it's very tricky with software because it takes
3: a long time to build decent software. So it's easy for me to say that when I'm running a services business or when I'm, you know, like we've got a community which we also built in a week which was easy because the software is available and we've got a WordPress plugin which we launched in a week which was pretty easy because it's a WordPress plugin. Um, It's much harder with software. So, I mean, there are ways of dealing with it but I don't think any of the ways that people talk about dealing with it are really are really that good. I mean, there's like pre-selling, which I think is just fundamentally flawed. There's like surveys and any kind of validation not to do with revenue, which is just flawed. And I mean, you can release an MVP and ask people to pay, but there's a good chance it'll be shit and people don't want to pay for something that's shit. So it's very difficult building software. I just think you need to, I think you need to build it as quickly as you possibly can. And, um, need to really just be objective and start looking at people's behavior, not not what they're saying. Because I was getting a lot of feedback from people on how good the product was, how good the idea was. I had 4,000 free sign-ups. Um, and I had coverage in the Next Web and Mashable. And, you know, like everything was looking really good. But I just wasn't paying enough attention to like that core of whether or not this was a problem that people were trying to solve and whether or not this solves it in a unique way that they cared about and, and whether they were ready to to pay me, and even like a lot of pe- people might pay you at first, but but they might be doing it for other reasons as well. So you need to look at that as well, and and you need to look at whether people are actually activated on the product and how they're using it, because people might just be paying you because they kind of feel obliged to pay you because they, you know, they want to support you. Which I think a lot of that was going on as well. Um, so I just think getting better at looking at like how people are actually using the product. And, and, you know, if they're happy paying you to use it is, is probably the the best advice.
2: So with WP curve coming off the heels of that, and you kind of being able to reflect and see where some of those flaws were, um, what specifically did you do differently, um, in either validating that idea or, um, getting something public, um, before you spent too much time putting any infrastructure together?
3: Well, I don't really believe in validation anymore. So anything we've done since then, we've launched it within one week. And if you launch something within a week, you don't need to validate it because it's only a a week's worth of work. Um, So we – I mean, what we did differently was we created a product that was so simple that we could launch it in a week. And um, we've done that three times since. And some of them have been more successful than others. WP Curve is much more successful than others. Because it's because it's a service and it's a problem that people are trying to solve already. And we solve it in a unique way. And it's not just a unique way that we think is important. It's like our unique way of solving, you know, fixing problems with your WordPress site is that we can do it faster. And we can do it faster than everyone else. And we can also do it in a way that where people don't have to worry about how much it's going to cost them. People know exactly how much it's going to cost each month. They know it's unlimited. They know we run 24-7 and they know when they email us to get something fixed, we'll fix it in the same day. And people care about that responsiveness. So it's not like we're we're doing the same thing as someone else and we've just put some kind of spin on it that no one cares about. We've tapped into something that people really care about and we know that because we've asked our customers why they pay us. And the number one reason is responsiveness.
1: Nice. So what is one thing, just looking back at the the kind of brief launch uh, of WP Curve, that you would have done differently?
3: Um, We've made a lot of mistakes with WP Curve, but I think think what happens in business is when something starts to gather momentum, it doesn't matter so much what mistakes you make because it just continues anyway. Um, But I think if we were to pick one mistake it would be marketing to agencies. And and it was just a huge well like we actually make made quite a few mistakes like this, which were just like weeks or months of wasted time with no reward and at the time seemed like good decisions, but we were doing them based on assumptions and, and the number one was marketing as a white label service to agencies. And my co founder spoke to probably fifty agency owners. We had you know we had a specific plan for them. We had like a white label plan we were like totally convinced that that would be how we'd grow our business because we'd sign up an agency which would have like 50 websites and therefore we'd sign up, you know, like 50 times, whatever, $60, $60 a month in one shot. And after four months, we had zero sign-ups. And like agencies kept – they didn't they didn't tell us what the problem was, but we knew what the problem was from the way they were talking. And it just took us too long to actually realize that like this problem of responsiveness is not – is not a problem for agencies. What they care about is saving money on development. Um, and so it's like a fundamentally different problem that that white label service serves than the normal ser- uh, normal problem we solve for small business owners. And it took us a long time to work that out. And my poor co-founder banged his head against the wall for months and months and months. And I, I didn't really listen to him. Like I said, yeah, you know, keep, keep selling to these guys. Like we had one email thread with a guy that was like 60 emails long. And he called him and it was just a mess. I think after four months, we had one sign up for a one-off fix. Like we compromised the service, changed the way we delivered it. And we had one sign up for like one dollars fix. And then we were just like, man, this is just a total waste of time. So
2: we we shut it down. So what was the alternative for them? It seems like most agencies would have, or any agency that's doing WordPress work, it seems like they'd have some ongoing retainer to do at least upgrades. It seems like this would be the perfect service for them. Well,
3: the perfect solution for them is to do it themselves or to pay someone really cheap to do it because most agencies aren't making enough money and they most agencies don't necessarily bill clients the way we do either like they might have a lot of them are just doing um, you know project type work for clients and when they have a job they'll get paid as a one-off so they didn't want to do like a monthly recurring. they would just pay us for individual jobs and what they wanted was, to be able to do that cheaper than they were currently doing it, and a lot of them were currently doing it themselves, or they were currently doing it with cheap offshore developers. So we can't really be cheaper than that. I mean, we could, but we don't really want. We don't really want to. Um, so, so yeah, that's. I mean, that's what we found out, and we we, we kind of assumed, like you assumed, that they would just multiply, you know, add money on top of what we did and charge their clients for it. But it just didn't work like that. And we had we talked to enough of them to realize that it wasn't
2: going to work it's really great thank you for sharing that because it's really easy when you're thinking about a new idea or even something you've been working on to make those assumptions and in your head there's no way that that wouldn't be true Uh, i guess until you get on the phone with them and start to realize that they're thinking something entirely different from what you dreamed up so
3: yeah we've learned to move a lot quicker like I mean, in my last business, it took me seven years to work out. I wasn't going wasn't to be able to work. Informally, took me 11 months. Um, WP Curve, it took us four months to work out. Agencies wouldn't work. And, I mean, now we just, we think about things in terms of weeks. And if we assume something, then we test it and get a result in a week. And we, we don't really do much, put much into something in, until we, like, get some information to suggest that our assumptions are correct. And I think a lot of the time... You can move much, much, much quicker than you think you can if you're prepared to like be honest with what information's coming in and not just going off your own assumptions.
2: Yeah, we I think we've made that mistake several times and just sticking with it even when you know that maybe it's not the the best thing to be working on. Yeah, I mean, software is very difficult. Like, I, I it's it's actually really hard to get people to pay
3: you every month um and it's very hard to get people to pay you every month for software so i think sometimes also like like a lot of the time it's people definitely banging their heads against the wall and just creating something that people don't really want badly enough um but then a lot of the time it's also just impatience and not realizing how long it takes to build a company where people pay you every single month especially software where you're not delivering a service that they would be paying someone else for um it's it's really quite difficult to build that kind of company. I mean, it's worth it. And if you're lucky enough for it to go viral like Buffer or something or Dropbox, then that's great. But most of the time, it doesn't work that way. And it just takes a long time. Um, so I guess the... I mean, it, it's hard for me to give advice on that because I haven't really successfully done it. Um, but I think I think you need to just be honest with yourself and look out for real signals on whether or not you're wasting your time or whether or not it is actually happening. It's just not happening quite as quickly as some of the, like the big success
2: stories. Yeah. And it can get, it can get tough when that's all you're seeing. You assume that your trajectory is going to be the same as theirs. Um, or when you've been watching 37 signals or bid sketch for years doing this, um, uh, and you see the current state, it's easy to assume that, you know, you launch and a few months later, you're doing 10,000 in revenue and it takes a lot of work to get there.
3: Well, it, it it may take a lot of work and then it may not take a lot of work. It depends. I think there's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of timing involved as well. And there's also momentum is such a powerful force. Like I mentioned earlier where, like if you look at something like Buffer, like just from day one they were growing. And you look at where they are now, like 2.8 million or something in annual run rate, and they just continue to grow because they've just hit that momentum. And I sort of feel like in our business – I've done lots and lots of things in the past, and I've just never gotten to that point where you started gathering momentum and the mistakes I've made I probably blame myself and thinking you know that's why the business hasn't succeeded but if you look at what we've done with WP curve we've made just as many mistakes I mean I mentioned the agency one we also like completely screwed up our ideal client profile early on and we chased a, a particular type of client that almost all of them ended up churning and I mean those kind of mistakes if the business didn't work, you'd be like, oh man we totally screwed up but because the business has this natural momentum, um, it's 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 almost unstoppable, you know, compared to something else where you're just constantly working uphill.
2: Yeah. And it's really, it's, it's getting your product out in whatever form it needs to be so that you can start making these realizations. Because for us building software, we didn't start learning uh, the most valuable things until after we shipped the beta and got people paying for it, which took... Many, many months for Minimalytics and a handful of months for Hookfeed. And it sounds like for you, you didn't start learning these uh, tough realizations until you guys got WP Curve launched, which luckily was quicker. But uh, while you're building it, you're picturing this imaginary customer. And until you start trying to sell to that customer, there's no way to know what their objections are going to be. And you can try customer development or whatever else you want to do. But until you try to, take a card and actually get them using the software, the service, the product, uh, there's no way to really know if it has a chance. So it's it's good. I haven't thought of it that way. Yeah,
3: and in our case, it wasn't just that the customers wouldn't sign up. Like we haven't had any problems with getting people to sign up, but we, we just targeted the wrong type of customer and we made assumptions about them, again, based on what they were telling us. And I mean, so many times over the last... 18 months, I've been told one thing and just learnt that it wasn't correct, even by well-intentioned people. But just what, what people tell you and what they do are just two totally different things. And that's just been a really hard lesson. You don't, you don't tend to learn that in like a service business like my last one with projects. I mean, you kind of learn that if, you, if you're going out, you know, trying to drum up work and people saying, yeah, we'll go ahead with that and then they don't end up going ahead with it. Um, but you really learn it the hard way when you're working on like an idea. And everyone's telling you it's a good idea and all the people and people are paying you and they're telling you the right things. But it's it's hard to know like what they're actually like, like whether their behavior is going to be consistent and what they're actually thinking
2: might be a little bit different to what they're telling you for a whole bunch of different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, Dan, thanks for coming on. This has been really great to hear about. You know, kind of everything that you're working on and the lessons learned. It's great that you've been putting out content for so long, and we'll link to a lot of the stuff you mentioned in the show notes. Uh, but we wish you the best of luck with WP Curve, and thanks for coming on. Cool. Well, thanks for
3: having me, and, and best of luck with your products as well. Let me know if me or Alex can help with anything.
0: Do you have a landing page up for your book?
3: No. Um. <clears throat> I, me and Alex just kind of decided at the end of last year that we would write a book and we had no idea what it would be about. And since then we've come up with three different ideas and I I came up with an idea last week and started writing it. it just all started flowing and I've already written half of it. Um, So I've got to talk to him about which one we're actually going to run with and how we're going to approach it, but it's probably a little bit of a way off. But our our blog, like we put a lot of this stuff up in our blog at startupchat.co and we do a weekly live podcast where we chat to founders and, Um, Influences and stuff about all of these topics. So that's probably the best place to, to look for our content.
1: All right. Sounds great.
2: Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Talk soon.